Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Heather Keeler. Heather is an enrolled member of the Yankton Sioux tribe with lineage to the Eastern Shoshone, a mom with two amazing boys, queer and bold in her passion to make positive impact on the next generations. Heather has been involved in equity work her entire life. It's not work that she chose to start at any one specific time. Rather, for Heather, the work of equity is a way of life. Her formal education training started with an associate degree in marketing from Southeast Tech in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. From there, she pursued a Bachelor of Arts in Project Management from MSCUM. After receiving her bachelor's degree, Heather earned a master's degree in educational leadership from MSUM. Beyond her formal education, Heather has participated in numerous training and workshops. A sample of these efforts include the Blandin Foundation of Community Leadership Training and the Bush Foundation's BushCon. Heather has also worked in many faucets of equity work within the region. She led the Human Rights Task Force for Moorhead Public Schools, served as vice chair of the Moorhead Native American Commission, and developed programming that laid the foundation of the Moorhead School District to hire a director of equity and inclusion position. In November of 2020, Heather was elected to the Minnesota House of Representatives for District 4A, representing Moorhead, Minnesota. This historic election cannot be underestimated, as she is the first Native American LGBTQIA woman serving rural Minnesota in the legislature. This momentous accomplishment became a reality due to Heather's unwavering commitment to foundational issues of education, equity, and healthcare for all. So before we jump into this conversation with Heather, I wanted to make an editor's note real quick. Um, so this week and for the next three weeks afterwards, uh, we're gonna be having conversations with state legislators, uh, politicians. And what I wanted to, to make a note that um, these politicians are on both sides of the aisle, so it's not leaning one way or the other. It's a pretty well-balanced group here. And that being said, uh, we're sharing the stories of the individuals that are in public offices. And this is in no way, shape, or form an endorsement of these individuals for their political office. Yeah, this is a conversation uh, with individuals that are doing very important and very hard work in our community. So, with that being said, let's jump into this conversation with Heather. Representative Keeler, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. How are you today? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. I've heard other shows of yours, and it's fun to be part of the cool kids. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And it always terrifies me when I talk to somebody and they've they've listened to the podcast. So, uh, it's a little, a little pressure on my end. <laughs> so... <laughs> But no, it's an honor having you here. Thank you. Um, well, uh, if you could tell us a little bit about your background, uh, who you are, where you're from. Uh, yeah. Sure. So Heather Keeler, I am an enrolled member of the Hunkdawan Nation, which is the Yankton Sioux Tribe down in South Dakota. Uh, that's my dad's side. And then I have lineage to Eastern Shoshone from Wind River, Wyoming, which is my mom's side. Um, I grew up in South Dakota. Uh, we were one of the first families uh, to actually move off the reservation because my mom started working for the state and was really involved with the Medicaid program and developing that um, in the state of South Dakota. And so kind of from early on, I saw my mom and my dad um, really do the best that they could to care about the community. And so growing up with that, um, as I grew into even 
as early as high school, um, worked in the community and then worked in healthcare, worked in um, Indian education, and now um, just finished my first year as a state representative uh, for the state of Minnesota. Hmm. So I've been aware of your involvement in the community uh, here in Fargo-Moorhead area for some time now. Um, I think we first became associated with each other, I think through your work, um, was it NDSU previously or was it Moorhead? I, I, yeah, I, well, I feel like you and I, um, because you're a veteran, you know, and you carry some of our flags in for powwows and stuff, I feel like maybe that's where we connected first. I, I think that happens often, especially in urban Indian settings, is that, you know, we come across people. Um, at those community events. And then we get into like the work connections or how we can uh, really develop this, this network to do really good things in the community. So I think that's how you and I met um, and your wife. And then I was in Indian education at that time, um, but we were doing a ton, you know, we have four powwows in our community every year. So I feel like we all ran into each other at some point. <laughs> at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so um you know, given uh, your background and, and where you grew up from, uh, can you talk a little bit about your your biggest influences, uh, both uh, growing up and whatnot, and then today? Yeah, no, I always think it's kind of a given for me that my mom was a huge role model. You know, I watched my mom work really, really hard. Um, I remember she would pick me up from school and we'd go back to her office, and I would sit under her desk or know, sit there and work on homework. And it would be really, really late until we went home. And I don't think I realized until an adult, the seeds that my mom was planting in me by being an example of a really hard working woman. Um, And she would say to me sometimes, like, you know, we just have to do this because we have to stay relevant in our positions. And it never really made sense to me. Like, you know, when you're a kid and your parents say things to you and they're like, okay, whatever that means. And then as you become an adult, it makes more sense. And, you know, I think it's that idea that my mom knew that she had to work really, really hard, almost, you know, four times harder than some of her colleagues just to be proven relevant in her work. Um, And she did it with such grace and passion. And she showed up in really difficult conversations and was an advocate for the underserved communities. Um, and so watching my mom firsthand do that, um, you know, she's definitely an inspiration to me. Um, somebody else that I've actually learned more about and continue to study is Eloise Cobell um, and the work that she did to fight the U.S. government. Um, you know, and it's one of the things that we don't ever talk about in Women's History Month, in Native American History Month, in government in general. Eloise Cobell and her efforts won the largest government settlement in U.S. history based on misuse of our land. Um, And so the fact that she didn't have big fancy degrees, she just cared and listened to her community and fought a system that, you know, we're taught to just not even address or budge. Like, you know, it's the overruling system of us. And to watch her do that and win and give back to the people you know, who were really suffering um, was just, it's so courageous. And it's so, you know, like she was so humble in her work. She listened to people. She was engaged in the community the whole entire time. Um, And now there's this legacy around it because they use the interest to now fund um, scholarships for enrolled members to go to school, both either 
their bachelor's or master's. And I was lucky enough to be a Cobell scholar um, in both my undergrad and master's. And so the more I learn about her, um, she's really kind of helping me in my current situation to have this fire to continue to show up. Um, And so I would say those two have been just really phenomenal role models for me that are easy to identify with, um, connect with, and then try to duplicate some of the ways that they communicated um, and worked really hard for our communities. A couple of years back, I'd watched a documentary on her and her fights uh, to uh, to get that recognition and whatnot. And I, if I remember correctly, she didn't live long enough to see the decision come through. And while, you know, of course that's heartbreaking that she didn't get to see the the fruits of her labor. I don't think that was her intention to, you know, like, like she had the integrity to fight for something that, um, you know, she probably knew she wouldn't see at the end, which I think her dedication to service is, is something so impressive and to strive for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and there was even stories about, you know, she fell and broke, one of her bones going into a trial and basically got up, went into the trial and then went to the doctor. Like, I mean, indigenous women, when we show up in these really passionate areas, I mean, it's a force to be reckoned with sometimes. And um, I just wish that we as a society knew more about her and could really like highlight her bravery and her courage. Um, Because I think you're right. I don't think she did it for, any acknowledgement, you know, she did it because it was the right thing to do. Um, and she challenged people over and over and over. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it's just another example of if more people knew about that story, we might have a more inclusive mind frame as a whole anyways. Um, Mm -hmm. so I don't know. I really love her. And I love that her mind frame was like, they're going to laugh at me. They're going to tell me it's not true, you know, and then I'm going to win. Yep. And yep. that's what she did. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about how you've developed your career, um, both in college, post-college. Uh, if you could share that with us, please. Yeah. So growing up, I never saw anybody who looked like me. And I think that that's a common story for indigenous people or urban Indian people specifically. You know, when you're not living on a home reservation, um, it gets really hard to find people who look like you. And so not having teachers, lawyers, doctors, I mean, anybody who looked like me in my community kind of was a subliminal message to me that I didn't belong in those spaces. Um, And so it took a really long time for me to even wrap my mind around what a career would look like when the messaging to me in high school was always, you know, you Indians are bad at math, go work at the casino. Like, why are you trying to go to college? Y'all are never successful at college. And I believed that for a really long time. And so went to college, didn't really do great there, went out, was a nanny in New York. That was cool for a while, but like always knew that I was missing like a passion point in my life. And um, it wasn't until my grandma kind of started to get sick. Um, And she said, I think it's time for you to come back home Um, because I was out traveling all over. And I came back home, started taking my grandma to doctor's appointments and just really connecting with her. And she was telling me, like, you know, you don't have to believe what all those educators told you. You know, you do have something that the creator has designed for you um, and you need to dig really deep to find that. Um, And then when she 
passed into the spirit world, I really resonated with that a lot. Um, And so what I did is I started kind of working in the same area of work that my mom worked in. She was the director of urban Indian health at that time. And so in high school, I started working with urban Indian health and developing youth programs um, in the summer, like culture camps and things that our kids could get involved in because we thought if kids can get connected to their culture, um, you know, it just increases body positivity and, you know, self-reflection, um, different spaces like that. So kind of started out in that realm, worked um, in the tri-state region doing outreach to our tribal nations on preventative health care. Um, and again, started to notice there's nobody who looks like us. Nobody's making decisions for us when we're in these cancer conversations. Nobody's talking about our medicines to heal our indigenous people. Um, or as, you know, partnership in that. So then I realized it wasn't healthcare that I needed to work in. It was actually education that I needed to help our young kids understand the value in themselves, get embraced in their culture and help them get to graduation and kind of build this vision of what they could be. So that's when I transferred over to Indian Ed um, and did a lot of work there, did a lot of those you know, conversations in living rooms with families. The nice thing about Indian education, especially as a liaison, I worked with the same kid from seventh grade till they graduated. So that's like, there's not very many um, support staff or any staff in a school system that works with a kid and their families for that many consecutive years. So we were really building good relationships. Um, So at the same time, I was in grad school And I did my practicum, um, I did talking circles to understand the barriers to academics outside of just classroom struggle. Um, And so the number one thing that we all kind of know, but it rose to the top, that representation matters. Lack of representation makes people feel excluded. So when your teachers don't look like you or your curriculum doesn't look like you, that, that affects you. But then also it's good for other cultures to learn about each other. Um, So that rose to the top. And then um, a bunch of other things like over um, over reporting disciplinary acts, you know, what that looks like. But so we took all that information. And at the same time, I had passed Indigenous Peoples Day in the city of Moorhead. And so I saw what change could look like. um, And I saw that I was good at expressing some concern thinking up solutions, and getting the community to join us in making changes. So at the same time that I was finishing my practicum and passing Indigenous Peoples Day and feeling this fire to do something more, I decided I was going to run for school board. Um, And that was it. That was like where I was going to do. I made a post on New Year's Eve, like this is what I'm going to do this year. And then Ben Lean announced his retirement in the Minnesota House. And women, about 20 women in my community reached out to me and asked if I would ever consider running. Um, and I had said, no, like that was so far out of my realm of what I wanted to do in my life, like ever, like I never, ever in all of my life thought I would do something like this. Um, but when they started asking and they started saying like, you know, you do know how to create change and you do have a voice that's so needed and we want to support you. Um, I thought to myself, I taught my kids a lot about stepping up when things are scary, but when things are needed, 
Um, sometimes we have to find the internal courage to do that. Um, so I kind of like had to stop and think, Heather, the message that you are telling your kids, you are too afraid to follow yourself. And so I had to like really say, if nothing else, this community deserves options. You know, I'm an indigenous queer woman from greater Minnesota. Like that's a really unique um, person to be running for a seat like this um, in this area. And so I just decided I was going to run and do the very best that I could to be authentic in what my issues um, were, what my knowledge areas were um, and what my passion points were and um, had to go through the endorsement process. Then I got primaried and then we had a general election um, and I won with pretty good margins in each of them. And so um, it gave me some confidence that, the, you know, I'm following what the creator wanted me to do. Um, yeah, and then went in and just worked really, really hard to learn this new job. Um, but it's so cool to kind of rock the seats and rock the tables that have been so comfortable with just typically white men at those tables making decisions. And then like, here I come, challenging, like, why aren't we talking about Mother Earth as a relative? She's not a resource. So, you know, why aren't we talking about inclusivity in education spaces? Why is Minnesota top on the list for removal of Native American babies from our home? Like, it's fun in a way to challenge that and realize that, like, our system has been designed to work against us for decades. Um, and now to be there to kind of shake it up has been a really interesting journey. That's for sure. Oh, it's fantastic to hear. <laughs> I imagine uh, those individuals getting rocked on their heels, you know, just by the questions that are being asked, you know, and being held accountable within themselves. Yeah. And also like, it's a lot of education. You know, people don't know what ICWA is. People don't know that there's these standards or that there's uh, you know, still statutes and laws and policies that work against indigenous communities. Um, and so what I've learned is that my work isn't all in the policies and the bills that we write. You know, a lot of it is the behind the scenes conversation of just educating to comb through, you know, thousands of bills that other um, legislators are crafting to make sure that we're not having unintended consequences on our tribal yeah. communities, but also you know, Moorhead is a border city community. And so, you know, I have to stand up in spaces for our unique values and, and our uniqueness in our community um, as well. So I think it's been good for my whole life that I've been the voice for an underserved population um, because I've just kind of shifted it a little bit in the state representative role because Moorhead is an underserved and unseen community when it comes to the state of Minnesota. Um, so stepping up and being a voice for our community is nothing new. It's just done in a little bit of a different way now. Hmm. Uh, you've touched on this a little bit, um, but uh, how have um, opportunities uh, presented themselves to you? Uh, and if that's changed over the years? Mm -hmm. um, I think relationships really, really matter. You know, I, I kind of used to roll my eyes when people would say like, not necessarily what you know, but who you know. And it was like, that's why it's like, we should be able to just work really hard and like get places in life. But the networking and, and the relational connections with people is really how opportunities present themselves. Um, you know, like you're in a conversation and somebody brings up a topic and you know somebody who works in that area, it's just natural to make connections. 
um, in those spaces. And so I think I've always been really outgoing. I've always been really good at relationship building um, and kind of just being in spaces so that I have those consistent relationship points. Um, So I think things come my way, one, because the creator has designed this path for me and I just really try to stay open um, to those opportunities that are coming my way. Um, But also, I just think it's the people that I have in my life and in positions that I've left in my career, I've made it really intentional that I don't burn bridges when I leave places. You know, I want to leave on really good terms. I want to leave in open conversations, you know, sharing transparency so that down the road, there's no uh, ill feelings there in that transition. Um, And I think that's really served me well, too, um, especially now that in, in outside of the legislature, I have my own consulting business. And so now some of those businesses have come back around full circle because I cared about those relationships in that way. Mm. So what would you say to the 18 or 22 year old that's listened to this conversation? Um, you know, life is really, really hard. And I think that people downplay that sometimes. Um, and it's okay that we admit that times are hard, but know that you have a community that loves and cares about you. um, And that it's just really one person away or one phone call away from having people who support and love you. Um, You know, to those, that age is just hard because we're transitioning into adulthood. We're trying to figure out what we're doing in our life, Um, but know that everything takes time. Society will put a lot of pressures on you to make you feel like you have a timeline um, and, and you don't, you know, you're in control of your timeline. You're in control of what feels right and what feels safe and what feels healthy for you. And listen to that, um, listen to that internal spot, um, because that, that really is a good guiding force for, for all of you. Um, but just reach out and engage in community because that's really where, um, in the, the most beautiful parts of life will happen. Where can our listener, uh, find, uh, find you or be able to connect with you? Well, I have a whole lot of spaces, but the best part is probably Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter. Um, but you can just find me Heather Keeler or representative Heather Keeler. Um, you know, anytime you're a political individual, there's also a campaign side. Uh, so my campaign is Heather Four House because um, I try to be really fancy with that because I serve District 4A. Mm. You know, for us culturally, the number four is really significant. Absolutely. Um, and so Heather Four House is the website and that has information, you know, about some of my pillars and a little bit more of my policy passions, um, than the actual bill language that I work on. Okay. Okay. Um, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask a couple additional questions if it's okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, so many, so I, I grew up, uh, on the system of Wapaton, uh, Oyate, um, and so many of my, uh, my relatives and community members were, uh, young mothers, uh, last single mothers, um, raising their kids. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's, it's important to acknowledge, uh, the work that mothers are doing, raising their kids, uh, in our communities. And I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit, uh, cause you, you talked about your mother and the work that she did, uh, with you growing up. Yeah. Um, it's really fun to have conversations with my mom about the generational impact that we're having. Um, You know, we believe as Indigenous people that we impact seven generations, you know, that our lives and our impacts come from seven generations um, ahead of us. And so 
Um, being a mom is just part of the generational connection. And so to hear my mom, you know, talk about her mom's education journey and then where my mom went in education, where I went in education, where my son wants to go in education um, is really a beautiful transition to see. You know, I'm, I'm a single mom. And so there's sacrifice in that. I work in the cities. I live three and a half hours away. Um, you know, I really rely on my family and my community to help love my kids. Um, because, you know, I'm not, I, I kind of joke, I'm not a Valentine box cookie making kind of mom. Um, I'm a mom that wants to be able to look my kids in the eye and say, I did absolutely everything I could to make this community, this state, and this nation better for you. Like I didn't just complain on social media about things. Like I actively am going to do the best that I can uh, to make change. And so I think being a mom in that capacity is really hard. Um, It's hard for me um, to be away from my kids, but it's also hard. You know, society has always said like moms stay at home. Moms, you know, like cook and clean and do all these things, right? Like the gender roles that society has told us. And so working moms, especially working moms outside of the home is kind of a new age concept in a way. And so a lot of the conversations that we're in challenge me about how good of a mom I am, rather than acknowledging the fact that I'm planting seeds with my kids that they may have never had an opportunity. You know, my kids have sat on the house floor. My kids have talked to the Lieutenant governor, you know, my kids, know this work um, and can see the bigger picture of things. And so um, I guess my role as a mom and the way I look at it is that we're making impacts for the next generations. And my kids really see that. And my kids know that I, I love them and that this is my love language and the way that I can love my kids the best that I know how. Hmm. Uh, how important is it for indigenous people, especially youth uh, to be involved in um, uh the voting process, uh, to be, I guess, involved in community awareness. Yeah. You know, our voice matters. And again, like voting suppression is so real and, you know, lack of recruitment for candidates is very real. You know, it's this whole idea that they're not, they, the system communities are not intentionally excluding us necessarily but they're definitely not inviting us in to know these systems very well. Um, You know, like a lot of people of other backgrounds have roadmaps and they know how to become a state legislator or a community leader. Um, You know, we don't necessarily have those tools. We don't know um, those spaces. And so, um, I mean, I, I think for our indigenous youth, it is so important to step up to be a voice because our youth voice I believe matters the most. Um, you know, the decisions that we're making will impact our youth's lives uh, much longer than it will impact ours. And so, you know, we saw this with Line Three and the movement uh, with trying to protect Mother Earth. That there were some amazing voices that were being lifted up that were from our youth and our next generation. Um, and I'll tell you. That next generation is powerful. I mean, they 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 know how to utilize tools, media tools, like how to get messaging out. They, you know, they're coming back around to learn the language and to kind of like 
just grab our culture um, back and really like revive it. And I love that. Um, we had a conversation about this and this is a little bit off topic, but that the next generation is so embraced in our culture that it's beautiful to see. You know, I was raised by a dad who was a younger brother of boarding school kids. And so my older uncles, you know, were boarding school kids. And my dad, I believe, grew up with a fear of being native. You know, like I remember my first apartment, they were like, try to go in and not be as native as you can. It was like, okay, well, how am I supposed to do that? I mean, I'll do my very best. Um, and so I didn't really have parents at home that were embracing the culture. Um, you know, they were still in that boarding school mind frame of we need to get rid of our culture to fit into society. And so the fact that the next generation is kind of like, screw that, man, we're like going to hang on to our culture. We're going to revive it. We're going to you know, they're doing language dictionaries. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And so I think it's easier for youth to get involved because it's the snowball effect. Like if, you know, other youth are saying it, then they start to say it. And then it's like more groups and it gets bigger and bigger and the messaging gets more powerful. And so um, I love our, our youth's voice. And I love when they come together um, because it's the most impactful message that we can hear. Oh, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, my father was a, uh, uh, he was, he was at a boarding school and at an orphanage and I'm part of a generation or two, um, that don't know the language. You know, my dad was a fluent speaker. He, he, he knew Dakota before he knew English, but, um, for whatever reason, he was hesitant to pass that along to, to myself and my siblings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when, when I see the youth coming up, and I fully agree with you, um, the audacity that they have to be able to speak the language and control uh, their, their narrative, I love it. And I'm so uh-huh. encouraged and excited for what's coming in the future because we, we have a very strong generations uh, coming up after us. And I'm so excited about that. Yeah, me too. I, and they're going to be great parents and they're going to be great grandparents. Like when you really see this next generation come up, it's creates this massive amount of hope um, for what the future looks like, you know, for our people. Um, you know, this system has tried to demolish us every generation. Um, and we just are some of the most resilient people I've ever seen, um, you know, ever. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Representative Keeler, thank you so much for your time and this conversation. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for the invite. And that does it for this episode of Five Playing Questions. I want to thank Representative Keeler again for her time and sharing her story with us. I think it's incredibly important that we recognize our Indigenous leaders who are women. They are the ones that are leading the path forward for all of us, whether it's in public office or in community leadership positions or in professional or even just in just in our families. Um, it's the women that are are raising our communities now to be in a better place and to be stronger than we were before. And it's not just this generation, but generations before. And I think it's important for us to recognize that this is not a new thing that's happening. It's always sort of been the case. But I think we're in a time now where our eyes are finally beginning to open and we're recognizing uh, where we're at. So being a community member in this space, and I, I see what individuals like Heather Keeler are doing, 
Um, it's absolutely inspiring, and I, I couldn't be happier for the work that she's doing and the way she's thinking about things and what's coming next. And I'm very excited for, for what is coming next for her. So um, I wish her the, the best of luck in her endeavors. And I, you know, she's young in her career, and I, I just look forward to the next several decades of the work that she's going to do. So, uh, Representative Keeler, uh, thank you again. I also want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please, join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on our Canada page, Creativity and Women, Native American Artist, on Facebook, at the PlainsArt.org website. Um, we're also on Instagram. It's uh, Five Plain Questions now. I think that's on Twitter as well. At the website, you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. So if you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please find us on Facebook and message me. I'd really like to hear from you. All right, that's it. You take care, and we will see you next week. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.